Yesterday afternoon uh, was supposed to be a good amount of time for me to study and prepare for today. And uh, I spent nearly three hours in my office with a young man who's really hurting yesterday. And um, some of that study time vanished. So um, I think we're ready to go. But it was a late night and an early morning for me. Uh, I want to remind you of where we were last week. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but uh, I just I hope that last week's chapel message stirred your heart towards extravagant love. And maybe just that picture can be just a gentle reminder. Some of you probably had something that came into your heart and your mind and you thought, I, I want to do that. And then if you're like me, you can have good intentions that sometimes you don't follow through on. So maybe this is just a general reminder for you. Um, what is it that you wanted to do? What was it that stirred in your heart? And, and when would you get that done? So maybe just a general reminder there. So last week we were in Mark chapter 14 at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. This morning I want you to uh, go with me, whisk you away to another place and another time. At the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, Mark chapter 1, the place is the Jordan River. You can see I've highlighted it up here, right about here. And the time is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. So Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to read for you the first 12 verses, though we're going to focus our time this morning in just the last three of those. Here's how the Gospel of Mark begins. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him, and a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. I want to help you get a sense of that place a little bit. Um, last week's chapel message was a little bit autobiographical. I told you uh, the story of extravagance, of how I proposed to Andrea. And if that was autobiographical, this week might be a little bit more. I don't plan to do that all the time, but um, there's reasons, and you'll see in a minute. 
why that's the case. Um, the scene. One year ago next week, I was standing on the bank of the Jordan River, right about in this place. And uh, if you look on the map here, there's a few things that we ought to just note about that area. Uh, first of all, if you look just to the south and the west, um, I'm sorry, in the east, you see the mountains of Moab over there. And you might think of the story of Ruth, for example. Ruth was from Moab and would have been from that area. It's also the area that um, is significant because of a certain mountain there, Mount Nebo. That ring a bell for anybody? That's the mountain that Moses went up on. Um, I'll just read it for you. Deuteronomy 34, 1-4 says, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. Now I'm going to show you some things on here as we go. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan and all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh and the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. So there, whoa, I went too far. That's what I wanted you to see there. We'll get to the next piece in a second. Maybe I'll do this so I can watch. I don't have mirrors. <laughs> That's the whole land. And Moses went up on top of Mount Nebo there and could view that entire land all around. And God just tracks it up for us like that. Moses was dying at that time. Joshua was taking on the leadership of Israel right in that area. And of course, you know that they crossed over at Jericho right here into the land. And it's an interesting place because it was right near there somewhere where Elijah passed the mantle of prophetic leadership on to Elisha. And Elijah was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. You remember that story, but he, he laid his cloak down over the Jordan River, if you remember that story. It's also uh, the place where John the Baptist then comes to do ministry and is baptizing people in the Jordan. And it says all the people from Judea, which is all right in this area, and Jerusalem all came to John the Baptist uh, to be baptized. There's a significant picture that I want to show you here. This is the uh, Wadi Kelt that is a, a Wadi is a steep, deep valley, and you can see that's, yeah, kind of true. Um, and this one runs down between Jerusalem and Jericho and would have been kind of the main traveling route from Jericho up to Jerusalem in that time. As I hiked down that last year, this is your first glimpse of Jericho right there through the uh, Wadi Kelt as you get to see it. 
And it's, it's kind of neat to come around that corner and then be like, whoa, there's Jericho down there. And you go and hike all the way down there. Now, I'm showing you this picture, and I'm going to start weaving in a little bit of the autobiographical side of things here, because it was when I was hiking down this trail that it was the first time that I had a chance to think in a number of days, because suddenly I was out in the Judean wilderness, and it was quiet. It was the first time I'd been around quiet in a little while, and it was just hiking down a trail, and we were all strung out along there, and so I wasn't next to anybody for a while, just walking, and I could think. And that was significant because the week before I left on that trip, so one year ago this week, was one of the busiest weeks of the year for me. Uh, that would have been the week that the accreditation team was here looking at Montana Bible College. And so it was extremely busy from that standpoint. And of course, I was teaching and um, was involved with extra stuff with the accreditation visit and all of that. Had discipleship to do. And then plus all of that, I was scheduled to leave on Friday morning for this trip to Israel. And it was an early morning flight, so I had to be ready to go. And it was on Wednesday afternoon of that week that Jim called me into his office and sat me down and told me that he was planning to step away from the presidency and that he thought I should step into that role. Maybe that doesn't strike you the way it struck me. <laughs> but that had a small impact on me. <laughs> That's just a small thing to think about. And that was Wednesday afternoon, and we had more accreditation stuff. Thursday morning, I taught class, then had chapel, discipleship. Thursday afternoon, I taught peacemaking for the entire afternoon. I went home, packed my stuff, said goodbye to my family, and at four in the morning, I'm heading to the airport. And then flights got goofed, and I was traveling for like 26 straight hours, and I didn't sleep at all on any of that because I don't sleep well at all on planes, and I had a little bit on my mind, and I was really having trouble sorting all that out, and then I landed in Israel, having never been there before, and I spent the next day trying to orient myself to Jerusalem in a busy city, and meeting the 37 people that were on the trip, the same as I was, um, from 22 different nations, speaking all kinds of different languages and getting to know these people. Only one other person on that trip had I ever met before in my life. And this was the second day of that trip, after the first busy day in Jerusalem and orienting to all that. And I can't even figure out what time of day it's supposed to be. We're now walking down through the Judean wilderness, and I have a chance to think a little bit. And I started going through all of the, uh, the what-ifs and the what-does-God-want-for-me questions and started wrestling through that more and more. And we had this teaching time partway down where we stopped. This gives you just an idea of the group that I was with. And we stopped. There's a little better place than this. And we had a teaching time there, and it was focused around 
the early ministry of Jesus and the priorities of Jesus in ministry. And that was not really unfamiliar material for me to be thinking about, but suddenly it was hitting me in a fresh way because as I was thinking about the priorities of Jesus in ministry, it was staring me in the face, what are my priorities in ministry? You know, what am I really convinced of? What is really important? There's a lot of good things you can do, but what will I need to do? What does that look like? And of course, I have this huge question mark in my head because I don't even know what's going to happen. At that point, there was no clarity. It wasn't like Jim just appoints a person to be the next president of the school. And I didn't know if I should just run a thousand miles an hour the other direction or, or not. So what should we do? I didn't know. I felt in absolute turmoil inside. I have a hard time describing for you how much I felt in turmoil, except that there was this weight that was like pressing down on me to the point where in that hot desert air, I just felt like I couldn't breathe. And it wasn't an oxygen problem. It was the weight of what is God doing in my life? What does he want from me? Where is this all going to lead? And it was pressing down on me so hard that it just felt like it was hard to breathe. And I began to feel as our teaching time wrapped up and we started heading down the trail again, I just needed to talk to somebody. Have you ever felt like you need to do something? I'm not saying like a need. I'm saying like a need. And I was just, I've got to somehow get some of this off my chest. And for the first time that day, I found myself walking next to Joel, who was the one guy I knew on this trip and had had a relationship with already. And we began to talk and, and I began to share just a little bit. And as we began that conversation a little while, all of a sudden another person came up and the conversation changed and we were interrupted. And he was looking at me like, you know, we'll pick this up later. You know, I, I know this is really heavy on your heart. And I'm like, Ugh. you know, I... I got it up, you know, about from my stomach to my throat, but that was as far as it got. It wasn't enough. We continued our hike down to the um, Jericho, and we got down there, and, and it was busy for a little while. And then on we went to the Jordan River, and we sat down there, and another teaching time uh, came along. Now, I'm going to pause the story there, and I want to help you understand the teaching time that was there. So here's the site that they have built up now right next to the Jordan River. You can actually see the water right down here in this picture that's a little hard with all the vegetation. And um, so we were sitting there um, on all these benches and stuff to get some teaching time. And here's the text, of course, that we were looking at. Mark 1.11, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And the man who was doing the teaching was a man I'd never met before. His name was Mel. He's an American who is serving in the Czech Republic, um, overseeing global youth initiatives, disciple-making efforts in all of Eastern Europe. Okay? And Mel is teaching on this passage, and he suggested that in God the Father's announcement there, he did really three things for his son the Lord Jesus, and that they were about identity 
and love and place. And I want to just unpack that for you just a little bit. First, identity. Uh, he said to Jesus, you are my son. If you look at the text, you are my son. God the Father claims Jesus as his own son. He does it publicly. He's speaking to Jesus. Now, this didn't come from Mel, but I've thought about this in my own life. You know, at what point in Jesus' life as a human did he come to the realization that he was God's son, that he was the Messiah? The Bible doesn't seem to give an answer to that question, but I still think it's an interesting question to think about. Um, you know, did he always have that knowledge from the first day that his human brain could think the thought? I asked my son Caleb this morning because I was sitting out in the chair going through this and he came out early in the morning and he crawled up on my lap and I said, Caleb, when do you think Jesus knew that he was God's son? He said, right away. I think just from the, probably from the time he was one or two years old, just the way I knew I was your son. And I thought, hmm, well, maybe so. But, you know, I'm, I'm also thinking about that conversation that most parents have with their little kids, the where did I come from conversation. And I'm thinking about Jesus and, and Joseph having that conversation. And I'm thinking about Joseph's face turning a little bit red and Joseph going, ah, uh, well, son, um, you see, it went kind of like this. You see, there was this angel, and, and on it would go. I don't know. Maybe it happened that way. I've also wondered myself if perhaps Jesus came to that realization as he studied the scriptures as a young man, and as the Holy Spirit illumined him uh, to understand the scriptures that they were pointing. Can, if you can talk about an aha moment, that would be it. I mean, I hope you don't have one of those. Um, I think I'm God's son. You know, that's not a good moment for most of us, all right? I don't know. There's probably other theories out there, and I, I don't even know which one, it, but I think about it, and I, I think about this moment, finally, then when, when, at Jesus' baptism, where God the Father speaks audibly, out loud, to the Son, and he says, you are my son, Any way that you slice and dice it, that had to be a really good moment. You are my son. Identity. The father also then gave the son love. He says, whom I love. Or more literally, um, it would be translated, you are my son, the beloved. Ha agapetas, for those in Greek. Um, I want you to think of all that love implies for just a minute. I'm for you. I'm committed to you. I'll sacrifice for you. I want your best. I'll be there for you. I'm loyal to you. My eye follows you. I'll defend you. I'll stand with you. And I just think how significant is it to Jesus to hear that his father loved him? I don't pretend to even know all the ins and outs of the relationship of God the Son and God the Father, and I think it's um, maybe too holy of ground for me to try to walk into and tread on. But at the same time, if you can just peek in there a little bit and wonder how that was, 
Um, I, the father gave his son love in that moment. Finally, Mel suggested that the father gave Jesus place. He said, with you, I am well pleased. And what does he mean by place? Because that doesn't seem to flow obviously from that. What he meant by place was like a specific fit for ministry with the corresponding authorization to carry that out. You are my son with whom I am well pleased. Uh, Jesus had the father's stamp of approval for the job. The father let Jesus know that he was in the center of his father's will. You're doing just what I want. I am well pleased with you. You know that the Gospels make a point of telling us that immediately after this event, Jesus went to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And I wonder, do you suppose that this had, this event right here, had any significance or any bearing on the outcome of that temptation? Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, no, because the temptation accounts very specifically tell us that Jesus resisted those temptations based on the scriptures, the word of God that he quoted back to Satan. At the same time, I went and read those quotes again. Do you know how much those quotes speak of relationship with God? Just listen to them really quickly. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I think Jesus had a pretty tight relationship with his father. And I'm not trying to make a mountain out of a molehill, but I think there's something there that God the Father speaks, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You're right where I want you to be. And that relationship is, is right and whole and good. And then Jesus goes out from there and as he's tempted, he's quoting scripture that not only is pertinent to answering the temptations, but is also at the same time demonstrating the relationship that he has with the Father. And I don't, I'm not going to say that's a for sure thing, but it makes me wonder. Now, I told you guys that I'm struggling big time as I sit down and I'm listening to Mel teach through this. I am like feeling like there's a bulldozer on my lungs and wrestling. And I couldn't even articulate what I was wrestling with. Just everything. <laughs> All that God is doing and what is he doing and how is this working out? And uh, later that day, I got alone finally at the end of the day and I, I wrote out a bunch of stuff as a journal entry. April 4th, 2016, last year. And I'm just going to read you some of this. This is in my own words, from the day of. And I want you to hear just kind of how this unfolded in my heart. Because I think there's an illustration here that'll help us. Mel told a personal story. I'm jumping right into the middle, but I don't have time to go to the beginning. Uh, Mel told us a personal story that happened about 10 years before when his son was about 10. Mel shared that he had, up to that time, been very hard on his son. It was as if his son never quite measured up to his expectations. Their relationship was very difficult. His wife and even some of his ministry partners had pointed this out to Mel, and he agreed with them, but he was struggling to change. 
But one day, Mel came to a place in his own life where he admitted that he was trying to function in ministry as if he were more ready and more mature than he really was. He had been thrust quickly into lots of ministry. He realized that he had never really had a sense in his own life of God's pleasure in him. He didn't dwell on that part of the story, but he said that on the very day that God worked so clearly to show Mel that he was pleased with him, it suddenly freed him up to take pleasure in his own son. It was the day that their relationship changed, and everyone saw it. His son still talks about that time today as a 20-year-old. Mel shared all of this uh, with quite a bit of emotion. This is all my journaling. I mean, he's crying as he's sharing this very personal story with us. He asked us to consider what it's like to experience the pleasure of God. We answered that God gives peace. God gives security. We live boldly when God is pleased with us. Then Mel pointed out how right after hearing his father's pleasure in him, Jesus went into the wilderness and resisted all the temptations of the devil. He said that we need to experience the pleasure of God in us before we're able to really truly give that gift to those we disciple. Mel went on to share that giving space is very different than giving a place. He noted the playground studies done where children used the whole playground when there was a fence all around the playground. And he asked us if our disciples understand their place, the authority they have from us to do ministry. We tend to baby people along or they never really stand on their own. But Jesus knew that he was free to run with his father's blessing. Of course, Jesus' father was there for him time and time again. Jesus is relying on his father. Mel also shared about helping people grasp their identity. We are followers of Jesus. This is what followers of Jesus do, helping them understand this. As Mel was sharing all of this, emotion was stirring so strongly in my chest. His story with his son brought tears to my eyes. I was thinking of Gracie especially. I think Gracie needs to feel our pleasure in her, that this is our daughter in whom we are well pleased. No mistakes or messes or tardiness can change that. But more than Gracie, I was thinking about the students we disciple at NBC, and I could see immediate connection to their lives. In fact, Mel had asked us to stop at one point and share with the person sitting next to us how we saw one or more of these things connecting to some of our disciples. I could see that Levi Lee needs love right now, and it was so obvious to me that Selim needs identity. He needs to have his identity so rooted in Jesus that he will not be swayed by temptations or by people who will want to distract him from his true mission to make disciples by putting him to work for other good things. But on top of all that, I was thinking about me. I was thinking about the Bible college, about all the responsibility that may be coming my way. Mel asked if we knew what it was to know the Father's pleasure in us, if we knew that we had a place made for us to do ministry. And he referred back to his own story of feeling like everyone else thought he was five steps ahead of where he really was, and he had been too afraid to admit it. A lot of emotion was churning in me. Mel was wrapping up and was praying, but I just felt like I had to talk to him, like that sense of need again, like I'm compelled. I didn't even know what I would say. He prayed and everyone started dispersing. I headed toward Mel and waited for another guy to finish for a moment. Then I said, Mel, what did you mean about other people thinking you were five steps ahead of where you really were? 
He explained a bit more of his story, being thrust into ministry so quickly because he had been a good kid from a good home and seemed to be able to handle it, but how on the inside he wasn't near as mature as people thought. He looked at me and said, why do you ask? And I said, well, I guess that wasn't quite it. I don't know. Um, I think I'm going to tell you this now just without the journal part of it. Um, I wrote all, I kept all that because I was not sure I could get through this emotionally today. I think I'm okay. We'll see how I do. Um, he says, why do you ask? And, and I said, well, that wasn't quite it. It wasn't quite connecting with me there. But so I started kind of going back historically. I said, I think I, I know what it feels like from an earthly perspective to know my father's pleasure because I, I, re, I re experienced that from my own dad. And I said, you know, I, I did ministry with my dad for a, a number of years. And I said, about 10 years ago, my dad died. And Mel thought that, like, that was it. Like, I was experiencing some fresh grief. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, 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 that's not it. And, um, and I just, I, I was starting to feel this overwhelming emotion coming. And I, I was struggling. And, and um, I said, so now to the last 10 years, I've been at Montana Bible College. And I said, I've served under two presidents there. And, and both of them have really been kind of like a father figure in my life. And it's been just a really sweet time. And I said, and now uh, my current president just told me before, I'm, before I came on this trip that he's planning to step away. And, um, and now Mel thought again, he, he's like, oh man, that's huge. I, I, am, I am so sorry. And I was like, it's still not it. <laughs> and then I just couldn't talk. And I knew that if I opened my mouth again at that moment, all that was going to come out was like this big sob. You know, I'm just going to cry. And I've got tears just like spurting out of my eyes and running down my cheeks. And I'm a mess. And I'm, I, I was like, I'm sorry. I'm so emotional. And, you know, he's sitting there. He has no idea what's going on. He's like, you know, it's all right, you know, whatever. <laughs> he has no idea. He's trying to, you know, minister this poor guy he's never really met in his life who's falling apart in front of him. And, and I just, I couldn't get control here for a minute. And this is not normal Ryan, if you know me. I'm not like that. I don't go blubbering all around a lot. And so that was not normal for me. And, and so I finally got collected enough. And I, I said, and... And Jim just told me that he wants me to step into that role. And he's like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's starting to dawn. And I, and I said, but I, I still don't know. And he, he just looked at me and he said, Ryan, do you know God's pleasure in you? great. Now he just <laughs> blew me up again and I'm just a mess and I can't even breathe hardly and, and talk and I've got tears all over and I'm, I'm just, and I, I said, no. Like I said, I feel like I have. I, I've had this sense of clarity. I've, I've known what God wanted me to do in my life for a long time. It's been really clear, like the next step and the thing I was supposed to do and invest my life in, I felt like I knew that I was where God wanted me to be. And I said, right now, I don't. I said, I just feel like I'm running on pure obedience right now, but I have 
I don't have a sense that I know what God wants right now. And um, he spent a few minutes with me and just was encouraging me and that, you know, in my relationship with the Lord and that he would work and make that clear. And, and the whole time that he's talking, I, I guess I was sort of like expecting now that like I, that some weird emotional thing had happened to me that maybe God would speak audibly or something. I mean, I'm standing right there, right? Wouldn't God just provide me with like some moment of like, yes, now there it is. You're my son and I love you and I'm with you. And it, nothing was happening. And I'm like, uh, and then all these people are like, hey, you guys, we got to get back on the bus and go. And, and so everybody starts walking back over there and I'm walking there and I just, I can't stop crying. And the tears are coming down and I'm like, what's wrong with me? I'm just a mess. I just need to go sit down somewhere and like cry or something. And I can't. And all these people are like wondering what's wrong with the guy from Montana, you know, <laughs> who's crying or something. And I get back on the bus and I'm sitting there and I'm like, just like, oh, what's wrong with me? And um, long story short, we, we drove to another place and people were stopping for lunch. I said, I just got to get alone and pray. And I started writing and praying. And I'm thinking that maybe if I write it all out, you know, maybe now I'll hear this voice or something and nothing happens. And long story short, what did happen was that I spent the next 10 days on that tour. And it was just like every single place we went and the things I was challenged with from Jesus' life and his ministry and connecting that to disciple-making was just what I needed to hear at that time. And there was multiple places where I was challenged in different ways. And I just, I had to say yes to God again, like, yes, I will follow you. Yes, I will go where you call. I came home to Montana not knowing what had happened while I was gone, not knowing how any of that would play out, not knowing anything more about the future than I knew when I left. But I left in turmoil and I came home in peace. And that peace stayed and has stayed. And that doesn't mean it's all been just easy and smooth sailing for me. But um, God worked in a powerful way in my life to help me come back to a place where, okay, this is what you want in my life. I'm walking in his will, and I'm confident in that. I'm wondering about you guys today. And I'm wondering about the people that you disciple, those that you're investing your life in. And I'm not going to try to make more out of this than I think is appropriate. But I would suggest that the same things that the Father gave to the Son, Jesus, at his baptism are things that each of us need as well. Um, identity. I think you need to know your identity in Christ. And it needs to be solid and firm. And your disciples need to know who they are. You are a son or a daughter of the King of the universe. You are redeemed You've been made a kingdom of priests. You belong to the body of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. You're a citizen of heaven. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We could go on. This is who you are. Where, whatever you are or whatever you do, this is your identity. You're a Christian first. 
You're a student second. You're a Christian first. You're a member of your earthly family second. You're a Christian first. You're whatever you do or whatever career you have, any other thing you'd find identity in has to come below that. I want that identity to be firmly rooted in each of you. And then you need to be used by God to help other people come to a place where they know who they are in Christ. And I think about love. Ephesians says, Paul prays, he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Has anybody reminded you lately that God loves you? Yes, you personally. Some, maybe you got past the Jesus loves me thing when you were a kid, I think you need to come back there sometimes. You need to know that God loves you. And I'm not just talking, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He loves you. He's for you. He's faithful to you. Ephesians 5.1 says, Be imitators, therefore, of God as dearly loved children. That's who you are dearly loved. Colossians 3.12 says, uh, calls us God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He loves you dearly. Will you rest in his love for you? And will you help those that you disciple to know not just their identity in Christ, but to know the love that God has for them. And I would add your love for them. Third is place. The father was pleased with the son. Jesus had his father's stamp of approval. He was right in the middle of his father's will. Go do this ministry with my blessing. And I, I'd suggest that if your life is centered around your desires, your dreams, your ambitions, then you're out at the peripheral and you're not going to be experiencing that pleasure of God in, in your life and where you're at. But if your life is centered around his desires and his goals for you and his mission that he's given to you to complete on this earth, then when your life is centered there, you're going to be experiencing Father's pleasure in that, in you a place where you can be free to run and to free to use everything that he's given you for his glory in every way that he will enable you to do it. But you don't have that freedom if you're wandering off the path out in the brush someplace, getting torn up by it. It doesn't work. Identity, love, and place. Um, God the Father gave each of those to Jesus at his baptism. I think he's given each of those to us through Jesus. And I would suggest that he will also use us 
to continue to minister in one another's lives in those same ways. And I would pray that you'll take up that challenge with the people that you disciple to help them find identity in Christ, to realize his love for them, to have a place to pursue ministry and and do it in freedom. I know there's so many more things that we could say, but uh, from that text, I think those are three good ones. Let me pray for you. Father, we praise you this morning that you care for your children in such a beautiful way. Thank you for what you've done for us through the Lord Jesus. God, you know that sometimes we come to those places in our lives where we just feel like we're swimming and we have no idea uh, where anything solid is under our feet. And we also praise you that you want us to walk in faith at those times and that you lead us forward in faith and then that you many times also bless us with bringing us out to a place of clarity. Lord, I would pray for each of the students here at MBC that they would be rock solid in their sense of identity in Christ. We are your people first. And that they would know your love And that they would share these things with others and be ministers of your grace to other people. Thank you so much for who you are, for making us your children and adopting us into your family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.